Hello and welcome to episode 157 of the RPG Fan Podcast, Random Encounter. That's not how I usually introduce it, uh, but I flubbed it, so we're just going to go with it. I am your host, <laughs> Derek Hemsbergen. I am Embryonix on Twitter. That's at E-M-B-R-Y-O-N-X. And today I am joined, as ever, by the stalwart, lovely, and queenly, Caitlin Ardros. That is, that's all me. I am all of those things, yes. Um, I am at Leanne underscore Cazero on most places, and I'm happy to be here. I'm happy you're here too. If you had a majestic queenly dress, would you sit on um, a throne and be on the cover art of a remake of Final Fantasy XII? Yes, but only if my uh, d- disgraced former bodyguard slash knight slash potential, I don't know, you know, all of those things. Only if he was there with me. He could be your king. Yes. He certainly got the the i don't know majestic air the speech pattern i don't know he's he's a good servant it is an oddly specific set of things but we'll roll with it sure i guess whatever <laughs> the voice you just heard is peter treisenberg everybody hi everybody peter treisenberg i am uh, i have fury on most social media outlets and do you still have fury to this day Oh, I do indeed have Fury. Although it's it. Although I had Fury at Darksiders for being bad for a little while. Oh no! Kind of got over that one. Now Define a little like, while. Oh, uh, like you, you were furious for a little while. Not the game was bad for a little while. The game continues to be bad. The game continues to be bad. Although they've actually done a decent job of supporting it, so I'll give them credit for that. But uh, I was I was mad at that for a little while, and now uh, Bowser's Inside Story on 3DS is out, and my boy Fawful is back, so I'm happy. He is. Wait, was he in the original or is he added for the re-release? Oh, he was in the original. He was the main villain in Bowser's Inside Story. Um, he uh, he was. I thought he was now- only in Super Star Saga. Nope, no. He they he came back and uh, and tried to take over the Mushroom Kingdom himself in a uh, in Bowser's Inside Story. Why am I not so remembering you, this? I played that. You one don't too. have the inside scoop, apparently. I guess not. But who does have the inside scoop? Is it my other 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 co-host, Greg Dalmage? Uh, I don't have the inside scoop, but I'll take all the scoops ice cream I can handle. <laughs> uh, Mario and Luigi Bowser's inside scoop, the Cold Stone Creamery spinoff. Tales of it. Cold Stone Creamery. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Sign me up for that, please. Yeah. And um, if, I, if I were to enlist you, where would I find you on social media? You would find me at Greg Delmage on pretty much everything. Well, that's simple enough, isn't and it? G Delmy in the Discord. G Delmy, hit him up. If uh, Caitlin is is stately, can I be provincely? Sure, you're Canadian, right? <laughs> and where does that leave Peter? Countyly. Uh, I, I, I was going to say I'm the resident uh, street urchin slash wannabe sky pirate. But oh, okay, well then, God, does that make me Pinello? <laughs> What's wrong with that? <laughs> she's, you're a great dancer. She's a, a plot device. Y- you can be Balthier. That that works. That's fine. I'd rather be Bosch, but I'll take both here. I'll be Fran. I mean, she's got legs for days, and I'm pretty tall, so this is true. Accurate. So we we'll can make it that. work. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. But do oh, you man. know how to use them? Sure. Um, and, and suddenly I'm having, uh, this is like wildly off topic and probably not uh, in the realm of interest for most of our leadership or leadership, listenership. But uh, I, I want on RuPaul's Drag Race, I want a Final Fantasy runway challenge. Oh my gosh. And uh, I want Naomi Smalls to to dress up as Fran, do Fran cosplay. I'm sure two of you may have gotten that reference and been able to conceptualize it. Oh, that'd be so good. Well, we're not here to talk about Drag Race. We are here to talk about video games. And um, this being the first episode of 2019, it is customarily our Game of the Year episode. And we want to go into um, basically all of the site-wide awards that we gave out at RPG Fan for our picks of the year. Uh, we, as always, did a bunch of categories. Um, we like to give out awards. We don't just like to give out, like, this is the best one. But also, we like to, to point out um, sort of best game by genre. So we have uh, you know, traditional action RPG strategy, etc. And then we also have our feature awards, where we talk about, or rather, element awards. Uh, we talk about what we had, what we think had the best visuals, music, the best protagonist, supporting character, and so on. And I think that's uh, a nice way to shine the light on some elements of these games that don't typically get represented as much in the bigger sites awards. And then finally, since we have a few folks here who did write up their own editors' picks awards, I wanted to be able to go into that and uh, dissect their their thoughts. I was going to say dissect their brains, but I thought that sounded overly gory. Um, Brains. (laughs) uh, Talk to y'all about why you picked what you picked and uh, get some discussion going. So uh, it goes without saying, right? Every every feature for a game of the year on every site has a a forward that says something along the lines of 2018 was a crazy year for video games. And that's because it was. And I think that's sort of the nature of this industry as of late is every year we're having this deluge of insanely high quality releases that just seem to come out one after the other. And many of us can't keep up. Um, I mean, we cover video games sort of as a professional uh, aspect of our lives. And yet, you know, not everybody on staff is able to play every single game that releases this year. We're not even able to cover every, like play every RPG that releases within the year, let alone all the other huge games that come out. So uh, I would say 2018 was another fantastic year for games overall um whether they were rpgs or not but uh more relevant to our coverage is the rpg stuff right so (laughs) i'll start by just getting into some of our um category awards for basically by genre and uh, i'll just say what each award was uh based on the site-wide votes uh which i participated in as well as the rest of the staffers who are here and then we had a bunch of write-ups which are wonderful and you can read everything that we're going to be discussing you can and should read on the RPG Fan website, you can just go to uh, rpgfan.com. Uh, currently, it's plastered all over the front page, but by the time you listen to this, it may not be anymore. So you can go to rpgfan.com slash features.html, and you'll see it under the E3 category. So um, without further ado, let's get into what won awards. The Best Action RPG Award this year we gave to Monster Hunter World. Uh, that's a game that I think deserves some praise at the very least for making itself accessible to an audience that previously had sort of looked the other way. I know I, for one, was not able to get into really any previous Monster Hunter games despite trying very hard. I played several of them. What did I play? Like, Try. I tried one of them on the, the PSP. I played the one on the first one on 3DS, which was or not generations, but it was four. It was four. Monster four I'm pretty yes. sure. Yes, thank you. It was four. Even tried generations. I mean, so I played like what four of them, five of them, and uh, none of them had really hooked me until World. 
and I think World deserves to be lauded for its um, increased accessibility, its gorgeous visuals, um, still being updated with new content. Uh, did which of you played it uh, um, this year? I Peter, did. did you? Greg, you did. Yeah, I was definitely in the same boat as you, where I kind of tried a few demos of some of the past ones. I can't which on the one of the ones on the 3DS I tried, and it was just like this is obtuse and no. But uh, just the hype for this one was looking really great. I really liked what I saw at E3 uh, when it was announced. Uh, and was kind of like iffy on it still, but once I heard enough people uh, that I knew were kind of getting into it, that it'd be worth diving into the the, uh, the multiplayer aspect and that it was being touted as being the most accessible version of it. I was like, cool, this might be the one to try. It looks really neat. And I, I yeah, I really have enjoyed it as well. It sucked me in for a good while and I found it very intuitive to get into as a as a, a gateway monster hunter drug. <laughs> right? It kind of makes you uh, more inclined to go back and, and play with the older ones now that you know what, what to do, even though they do play a bit differently. Yeah. Nice. But, uh, I mean, have my own little cat friend that you get to customize and your your person, and there's so many different, like, gameplay elements with all the different weapon types. It's yeah. it's really a, a blast to, to get into, but also incredibly overwhelming for just, even in this one, with how much options and choice there is you know, you can even just focusing on one weapon, there's like so many branches with monster parts to harvest to build however you want to build your character and all these different types of weapons with different elemental boosts and some have like uh, hidden boosts and oh my gosh, it's, it's a lot. <laughs> right, yeah, so you kind of got to like come up with your own strategy of how to, to get through it without being overwhelmed, at least mm -hmm. I did. What was your weapon main? Uh, I played a couple, I... Messed with the insect wave a little bit, but I ended, uh, ended up mostly playing with bow and uh, what melee weapon? Oh, um, greatsword. I liked the, or it's called greatsword, right? The heavy sword. That sounds right, yeah. Yeah, I really like that one. I, I liked some of the combos that you could set up with like slamming the sword forward uh, vertically and then picking it back up and doing another slash as it's rising and all that kind of stuff. Um, that game is one where it feels really satisfying to smash an enemy really hard with like a perfectly timed and targeted hit. So oh, yeah. I, I found great to be very satisfying. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so the only issue with that one reeling. is what's that? Yeah. The fact that it sends them reeling and can yeah. stop and stuff. It's super satisfying. The only issue right. you're saying uh, that you can knock your, your teammates around a little bit if you have a huge weapon. Right. Yeah. I was always really bad. That. At the other, I wasn't good with either of the the bow guns and with like the gun lance or whichever. I think gun lance is that the one that has Sounds a shield. Right. Yeah, yeah, that one I just uh, I couldn't get my head around. But uh, yeah, I I think Monster Hunter World deserves all the praise it gets, and it's one that I wouldn't want to be forgotten in any kind of Game of the Year discussion because it did come out early 2018, but it's been continuing to get updates ever since then. So yeah, which keeps the, the legacy going. Mm -hmm. It's got, got that DLC expansion coming out. Yeah. Right. What's it called? Iceborne or something like Iceborne, that? Iceborne, I believe so. Yeah. 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 Cool. Winter is coming again. <laughs> and so am I. Oh, God. So. I'm not ready for April, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. April's going to be a huge side, But I'm not ready. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be a big release month. Are you guys planning my birthday party? Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> you figured us out. <laughs> I didn't want you to guess it live. Now I can't. I can't go back and edit out your acknowledgement, Greg. <laughs> uh, Caitlin, did you get a chance to play Monster Hunter World? Uh, I played the demo way back when. I actually streamed it for the site. Uh, oh, cool. 
So, and I had never played a Monster Hunter game before, and it was an interesting experience. <laughs> um, it it wasn't enough to get me to actually play the the main game, but um, I I think it's great to see a game that uh, people are still playing. Um, you know, twelve months or more after its release. I mean, I think we all kind of have that experience of you play a game when it comes out or when you get it and you, you love it. And, you know, when you're done with it, it kind of goes on your shelf for a while and maybe you, you play it again somewhere down the road, but otherwise it's just, you know, sitting there in your collection. it's kind of cool that, I mean, we, we still hear people talking about their experience in monster hunter world and it's great to, you know, be able to have fresh new content this far after uh, release and with an expansion coming along, I, I presume we'll be seeing not just the expansion, but a continuation of that sort of year of content kind of thing that they've been doing. Yeah. I'm sure we get all kind of frosty monsters. Mm -hmm. It's cool that they're taking the approach of like, no, this is going to be a more substantial addition and not just one new monster here or there. So, yeah. And then in the action RPG category, our runner-up, we gave to Nino Kuni 2 Revenant Kingdom, which Caitlin, um, you reviewed for the site. And I, I reviewed it for another outlet, but uh, since you handled the review for RPG Fan, how do you feel about getting it runner-up? I think it's well-deserved. Um, I, it's, I mean, like, it's amazing to me, and I've probably said this before when we talked about it uh, last year, but considering how much I noped out on the original Nino Kuni, despite really wanting to like it. Um, there's a lot of things that Nino Kuni 2 does uh, that to fix the issues that I, and I'm sure a lot of people had with the original, uh, uh, the original game. Um, and now that they've, they've made some tweaks, like they've added extra difficulty options so that it's not quite so uh, ridiculously <laughs> easy because it really was way too easy uh, yeah. <laughs> at launch. Um, I think that that addresses uh, uh, one of the only major criticisms that I think I had of the game when I played it and reviewed it. Um, and of course, there's uh, there's DLC, which I've been really bad about. I totally meant to go check it out and I have not um, because too many, too many other games, too many um, games. My backlog just got substantially larger because I got a crap ton of games for Christmas and I'm still trying to work through some stuff from the end of 2018. So like, Oh boy. Yeah. Maybe, uh, maybe you'll be more inclined to go back to it when they release whatever the other DLC thing is, which is supposed to be more story based. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think Nino Kuni 2 also was a great follow-up, and I, I too, wanted to love the first one so much, and I just, I was really frustrated yeah. with it. I was frustrated with how kind of slippery the controls felt in battle, um, how your monsters wouldn't really do what you wanted them to uh, sometimes. I didn't like how the story kind of petered out in the third act, which I felt was pretty much totally unnecessary. Um, I'm right here. I'm just <laughs> hey, hey. And, uh, yeah, it just kind of, it fell flat. I didn't love the, the combat, and I didn't love where the story went. And it was beautiful, and I think that Nino Kuni 2 lived up to that promise way better than the original game did. 
Yeah, I can agree with that. I I, I didn't like the first game either. Um, <laughs> for pretty much the same reasons. It was I. It looked beautiful. I really wanted to love it. I could not get into that combat system. And by the midway point, I think I just gave up. Um, you know, Kuni two though. I ch- I, I kind of want to get tried again, but I after about five hours, I ended up quitting on this one pretty much because I thought it was a bit of an overcorrection from the first game. Like, like Caitlin mentioned, it's it, it they and I know they addressed this later with some difficulty patches, but it was way too easy the core combat, which is like the opposite problem of the first game. Yeah, like the first game's combat was like unwieldy and slow, but it was also like surprisingly difficult. Like unfairly difficult, I would argue. This one is you—you you breeze through standard encounters before the like theme music has time to kick in. Right. Like it—it it was really kind. Of, it just kind of took me out of the experience because like I would just breeze through b- battle, and that being one of my prime—the primary ways I was engaging with the game. And I think once I got to the first strategy battle, and it's just me bumping these little army dudes against each other, I'm just like, yeah, yeah, I think I'm done. Um. I don't think you're wrong. I mean, it, it was too easy. Uh, and whether or not that's a game breaker, you know, sort of varies from person to person. I am glad that they addressed it. It would have been nice if the sort of higher tune difficulty would have been the default, at least for like my playthrough. But yeah, uh, but yeah, I, I do. I agree. Like they overtuned. And what's surprising is that there's more complexity, I think, in the battle, but you don't really get to leverage it because it's so easy. It doesn't really matter what you yeah, do. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. It's, it's like unbalanced in the opposite direction. Like you have a lot of options and different party members and, and weapons and all this other stuff, but you don't really need to use any of it because your basic, the, the your basic sword combos do will get rid of pretty much everything in your path. Yeah, that's why I'm surprised that in the first DLC pack that they put out, which I also haven't gotten around to, they added two new sort of ability sets to Bracken and Evan. And I don't I don't really know exactly what they are. I just looked I looked at a brief video and saw that Bracken can kind of she can like throw out little um, gadgets and stuff, but I don't really know exactly like how each one what each one does or how well they mm-hmm. fit into existing battle strategies, but um, I was like, okay, I don't know that we necessarily needed more abilities for that battle system but yeah and it's not a bad thing yeah i might i might try it again and play it on a higher difficulty setting to try and get a feel for it um uh because i do like a lot of things about the game it's still very pretty um it doesn't have the anime cutscenes from uh the first game but it's not really a great loss it still looks beautiful yeah uh, joe joe hisaishi's music is amazing i love that main theme mm-hmm. um and uh, I just I, I've talked about this on our on our on other elsewhere on the site before, but I love how weird this game's opening is. Um, <laughs> we're like the president of fictional real yeah. country, quote unquote, uh, is on his way to like a treat a peace signing. His city gets nuked. He dies? Question mark? Question mark? Question mark? <laughs> then gets re then gets sucked into the fantasy world of Nino Kuni as a younger anime, pretty boy version of himself, yeah. wherein he proceeds to shoot a cartoon mouse soldier in the face. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know. I haven't played many video games that started off on quite that note. And it, I was is, like, okay. it is odd. Yeah. <laughs> Just okay. Right out of the gate where I'm, I'm down for this. Yeah. 
I don't know what's happening, but I'll take it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, good stuff. Uh, I, I hope to see more from the second DLC expansion. Um, I don't want to say, because you haven't finished it, Peter, and because some of the listeners may not have either, I don't want to go into the specific nature of what I want to see, but there is like, there is very clearly, uh, I think, a setup where a certain character could have their own DLC story. And that's what I want to see. That's cool. Yeah. Good. I'm glad everybody liked it. Uh, it. It was not a letdown. If it was anything, uh, if anything about it let us down, I think it was probably the too easy difficulty. So mm-hmm. very good. Moving on, uh, we awarded the best adventure or visual novel game of the year to 428 Shibuya Scramble. Oh my God. I stand behind this 100%. Uh, did any of you uh, play 428? No, I still need to because everyone, everyone who's talked about it makes it. Uh, I just is selling it to me. Caitlin, <laughs> right? The first I heard of it. Uh, I have not played it. No. Okay, so it's up to me to defend 428's honor. I played this game very late in the year. Uh, I mean, it released fairly late in the year, but I didn't get around to playing it really until like mid late December. So I wouldn't. I'm, I'm kind of still high on it, but it's been like a month since I finished it. Uh, it is so much more than you would expect from just like this kooky premise. Um, it's a visual novel. If, if you've never seen any footage or screenshots of it, it's all done with live action, real, real people. And uh, it's told through still images, uh, all these actors in Japan and Shibuya. And very occasionally there will be moments where they have video. But for the most part, it's the story of these five strangers and how their paths intersect in Shibuya. You know, like this, the... Shibuya Scramble Crossing is what the game's title is named after. And it starts basically with like a kidnapping case. And one of the characters is a detective. Let's see, who have you got? You've got the detective. You have a kind of stuck-up journalist. You have a street punk who's really eco-conscious and into recycling and has a heart of gold. Uh, there is a... What's the fourth one? Oh, uh, like kind of shut-in brilliant scientist father guy. And then a person stuck in a cat mascot suit. And so these five people you wouldn't think would have anything to do with each other, but their stories intersect. And the way that the game uh, builds into that mechanically is you switch between the point of view of each of those five people and the choices you make in each one affect what happens in the other routes. And the game is segmented into one hour long blocks so as to prevent anything like from really tangling up too much. So like within each one hour block, people's decisions can affect each other and like you might have uh, the cat mascot person there in the first chapter, they're doing a sales demo for like a diet drink. And the guy running the the demo is kind of like a scammer. And so the person in the cat suit, you can decide like, do you go along with it? Or um, like, what approach do you take to try and sell it to people? Cause you're desperate for the money from the job. And like, maybe you choose to approach one person who happens to be one of the detectives on the kidnapping case. But if you do that, then you'll like interrupt him and he won't get to this other place on time. So uh, it has a like a navigational tree chart system, kind of similar to something like Virtue's Last Reward, where you can jump in time and make different choices depending on what you want to see happen. So um, there's a little bit of a puzzle solving aspect in having to do that. But the, the way the story plays out is just like beyond what you could expect. And that's one of my favorite things about it is that it's also incredibly well localized, so well written. Nice. Um, Alexander O. Smith, who worked on like Final Fantasy Tactics, etc., he did the localization for this game, or at least was on the team. 
Sign me up. Yeah, that's yeah. I think I think you just sold me uh especially yeah. with the VOR name drop right there. Right. Um, um it's it's similar to VOR. I mean it's not quite as like it's not as heavy sci-fi or anything. Yeah, and it's not like a puzzle adventure game, it's more a straight visual novel. Yeah, right. more or less. Okay. And the, the puzzle aspect is just you making different choices. Yeah, right. but it's basically a visual novel. Hmm. Uh, but uh, it's it's like it's so far exceeded my expectations. I grew to love pretty much all of the characters except uh, the journalist guy is kind of an ass, but I think that's his his character. There's uh, always one, right? <laughs> uh, it's it's yeah. I, I mean, what else can I say? Since it's a visual novel, the nature of the game is such that if I told you all the plot points, that would ruin it. So. Uh, suffice to say that it goes far beyond just like a kidnapping case into a bunch of crazy stuff. And it is so worth the time investment. I'm really, really happy that it came out. Um, and then we were able to, we were able to, what am I saying? We awarded the uh, runner up for best adventure visual novel to return of the Obra Dinn. Haven't played that at all. I've, uh, really heard very little about it. The only thing I've, like, I basically heard about it when the Game Awards happened and it won an award. And I was like, oh, okay, that exists. It's um, kind of how I was at. I'm clearly, I'm very out of touch on the whole visual novel uh, genre oeuvre. Mm. Uh, Caitlin, have you played it? No, and uh, my first exposure was uh, when we were preparing uh, the the review for this. I was the one who looked over uh, the review, um, but it certainly kind of sounded really interesting. Um, the premise of it that uh, you're you're basically trying to piece together what happened to a whole bunch of people on the ship called the Oberdin. And you you have to use clues. You have to sleuth out who they are and what happened to them uh, by gathering clues and making deductions about who you know X this person is or who that person is. Um, and the the visuals from what I could see from our screenshots looked really fascinating because you know it's really neat I think in you know this day and age where we have hyper realistic graphics and we're starting to have more and more games that are in 4k and HDR to see developers that intentionally sort of uh, go the opposite direction and and sort of you know uh, demake the graphics a little bit to kind of make it look uh, a, well I want to say older but more you know like the, the ye old games of like the early nineties or the late eighties with that sort of, you know, limited kind of uh, uh, color palette and graphics and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Well, back so, in the day, back in, back in the day. Yes. You're back I mean, in my day. I'm going to, I'm old and I'm just going to say that SimCity 2000 was the best SimCity. It probably still is the best SimCity. I and, would not fight you on that. You know, that's a total tangent, but, you know, sometimes have, oldies are the best. I have no stake in this argument. I like SimCity. That's good. But I also really love the one on the Super Nintendo, so... Was that just called SimCity? Sure was. Yeah, this is the second game from uh, Lucas Pope, who is the guy who designed uh, Papers, Please. So I know there was oh. a lot of... Yeah, so there, I know there, that was the, like the main... Uh, why there was a lot of hype behind this one. Um, I didn't see a lot of cover. I didn't play. I haven't played it yet. It's on my list. Um, but uh, I did see a lot of coverage. Of it. I think I watched a video from the giant bomb guys and from uh, uh, Seamus young wrote a thing on it. I think he was, a, he's a guy who writes for the escapist. Um, it, yeah, it looks really interesting. Kind of a, 
opaque little almost Lovecraftian story. Uh, and I've seen a lot of people kind of hailing it as like a return to form for uh, the adventure game genre, like kind of the classic uh, PC adventure games. So mm-hmm. uh, it sounds, yeah, it, look, it looks pretty amazing. Uh, I just, uh, it was a busy year. <laughs> yeah. Right, yeah. That yeah. one slipped through the cracks for me because I, I just really didn't hear much about it before it came out. So, um, suffice to say, enough people on staff liked it to uh, vote for it as game of the year, and it won runner-up in that category. So, yet another thing to ca- uh, check out. I mean, you could say that every game that made it into our awards for the site is probably worth checking out in some capacity, right? So, moving yeah, on. Enough. Yeah, moving on. We had the best indie game category, and in that category, we gave the award for game of the year to Time Spinner. Oh my God, love Time Spinner. So good. I have it. I haven't seen this an- this animated uh, heading that we made for it. This looks really cool. Very cool, right? <laughs> it is yeah. very neat. I can't wait to play that game. Yeah. Time Spinner is a fantastic, uh, you know, I'm going to use the dirty word, Metroidvania, in the style of Symphony of the Night. Perhaps more so like Symphony of the Night than pretty much any other Metroidvania I've played, just because it's got, like, very similar character movement with the backdash. It's got kind of a gothic feel to some of the environments even the color palette is kind of evocative of uh symphony of the night it's the story of a time traveling girl who she's like the the chosen agent of her clan who protects this device called the time spinner and she has to travel back through time to stop a war before it ever starts and um i think what impressed me the most about the game is just it's like incredibly fluid Pixelated graphics and the the combat feels so good. All of her weapons feel amazing. I talked about this a couple episodes in the show, but uh, she's got the main character, Lunace. She has two orbs instead of like a traditional weapon. And each of those orbs is a different... Uh, she uses two at once. Each one um, is something like there's a flame orb. There is a sword orb that like generates a magic sword. Uh, there's electricity. There's ice. And each of these orbs um, fires off a different attack. And you can upgrade uh, each one they're like basic attack, uh, a spell, and like a passive tied to each one. And it's really fun to be able to experiment and find your favorite combo of two different orbs, or maybe two of the same orb, that uh, just takes down enemies in the most efficient manner possible. It's super responsive and tight. It feels great. Um, and a not insignificant part of that game that makes it so uh, appealing to me and several of the other people on staff is that it is very inclusive and boasts um, a number of characters pretty much every main character in the game um, is somewhere along the LGBTQ spectrum. So it's nice to have characters who uh, exist sort of in that capacity in a game like this, where it isn't really overtly advertised um, and they're just sort of there in the story. Uh, I do think that it is kind of heavy handed in its writing and implementation of some of those characters, but for the most part, it's still, I mean, heavy-handed isn't necessarily bad. It's just like, okay, yes, they're definitely making a point to make that a thing. That being said, that's it's nice to see representation of people like some of us in, in games um, where it is not uh, typically there. So, And do you mean heavy-handed in the context of it, like, almost seeming gimmicky? Um, just like it, when every character in a resistance camp is, like, they're having a conversation, it's like, Somebody says, like, oh, you know, the guys are really going to go for you. And she's like, uh, I never said I only liked men. I, pr- I like men and women. And then somebody else is like, oh, yeah. And so-and-so over there likes men, too. Which is, like, not necessarily um, a conversation that couldn't happen in reality. It's just, like, they kind of crammed a lot of that into one little conversation at one point in the game. Uh, 
And I was like, got it. I see. Okay. Yeah. So there were a couple of points where, I mean, it wasn't as organic as it could have been, but also it's, it's fine. And we're making strides and, you know, yada, yada, yada. Every game isn't going to be a perfect encapsulation nope. of every type of person that exists. Like, right. It's cool. And Caitlin, I believe you haven't played Time Spinner yet, but I think you would like it quite a bit. I have heard many good things from it, and I have learned uh, basically whenever Alana says something is good, I trust her. So <laughs> she is very trustworthy. Yes, she has good taste. Um, in addition to Time Spinner, the game with the second most votes was Crosscode. This is a game that had been in uh, early access for a very long time, like years on Steam, and uh, I, I ended up finally buying the game around the time of its official launch. Um, haven't put too much time into it, but it's clear that it's incredibly polished. It's, uh, how would I explain it? It's, um, it's retro-styled, pixelated, and it's a top-down like action RPG, and the main character has uh, an attack where she throws like an energy ball, and it can ricochet off of stuff. And I think you get, you have some melee attacks, and I think you get more attacks later, but um, it's about a character who is mute, not just like mute, uh, like Chrono and Chrono Trigger, but like mute, mute. She actually can't speak. And she's in this MMO world and uh, she's exploring and trying to find out, I don't know, something. In the very beginning, there's a character who uh, experiences some sort of like trauma and a person that they love dies, I think, while in the game. So um, I'm not really sure where the story goes because I've honestly only put like an hour into it myself, but it is gorgeous and the soundtrack is phenomenal. Have any of you played CrossCode? Yeah, I have not, no, but I read, a, 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 I think Alana reviewed this one too, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's another one so, on my list. Yeah, so once again, Alana has very good taste and this game sounds like 100% my jam. I love Zelda likes and this one is kind of, seems like it's cribbing off of a, a link, link to the Past notes a bit. So uh, I'm, so I'm down for that. <laughs> yeah, it is certainly beautiful. I played I uh, the demo, I believe, which was really neat because they had a browser version of the demo for this. So you could actually play this from your browser if you didn't want to or couldn't uh, download uh, the, uh, the demo proper. Snazzy. So mm -hmm. uh, I liked it a lot. I just kind of determined that I could not play it on a laptop. I needed an actual mouse because of the... Uh, very fast combat and, and needing to aim and pull off moves very quickly. I, there was one part of, the, of the, the boss at the end of the, the demo that I just couldn't do with a um, touchpad because it was I couldn't react fast enough. Oh, yeah, it sounds like a pain. But I do want to play it. It looks really fun, and I love the, uh, the graphical style that they've got going there. Mm-hmm. And the There's, MMO concept of the world, you know, I'm I'm totally down for that. So, yeah, I mean, it's a concept that's been seen before, but not as frequently in this style of game, especially not like a classic pixelated RPG. So, yeah, yeah. There's a, there's I like the idea that like because her muteness is based on like a glitch or like something's wrong with her avatar or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it, I think it's cool when. Because it's a because the whole trapped in an MMO thing is a pretty common plot device in a lot of media now, but it's rare that you get media that actually really ex plays with the concept like that. Yeah, um, and yeah, especially in the context of a video game, that's really cool. Yeah, that they acknowledge that her not being able to speak is like a thing, and not just her being a silent protagonist that nobody talks about being silent. Mm -hmm. That's very neat. yeah, I lo love stuff like that. Yeah, me too. Our next category is for the best mobile game of 2018, and we awarded that to the 
what is both um, a fantastic game and the bane of my existence. It is Dragalia Lost, everybody. <laughs> you got into that hard, didn't oh my you? God, I'm, I'm still playing every day. Just shoot me. Like, I don't know who I'd become. How many, <laughs> how many times did you vote for it? Become? Just one. Just one. <laughs> I did vote for it, though. Yeah, Dragalia Lost really came out of nowhere. Uh, it's Nintendo's debut uh, like original IP mobile game. And it is just like a fun action RPG that comes in bite-sized chunks and more than anything. Well, I mean, like it has fun gameplay and that's sort of key here. Right. But it's also just got like phenomenal art and music and the, the quality of like, also the localization is really, really good. The text is actually just a joy to read. Like I haven't skipped through any story stuff, any of the events that have come up. I read all of it because it's genuinely good heartwarming and fun um the game you know addresses it, it can get a little bit heavier every now and then but for the most part it is pretty lighthearted. you know it's the story of this prince basically who is a uh, like seventh in line to the throne of his kingdom and he has to fight back against this encroaching tide of like darkness and stuff by forging a pact with a uh, dragon and then you can uh, transform into the dragon and the action rpg gameplay to fight off your enemies and stuff you get teams of four different elements. Um, it's a lot of fun to collect all the different characters and make teams of different elemental aspects. That is where the gotcha element comes in because it is free to play. And uh, I'm not a supporter of the gotcha formula, but um, the Dragalia Lost team is really generous with the currency that you need to use to summon. Um, every time there is like a minor inconvenience of like, oh, we're so sorry, the servers went down for three minutes between the hours of 1.47 a.m. and two, you know, 1.50 a.m. Here's $15 of free currency. We're so sorry. Like that keeps happening. And so I'm in my game, I'm sitting on a huge stockpile of currency that I can use to summon characters every time there's like a new event that comes up. Uh, so really, you don't have to spend money on this game at all. You can get through all of it just playing... Uh, normally without dumping any money into it. There is a stamina system like a lot of gacha games, but I found that it is far less restrictive than any other gacha game I played, even more so than like Opera Omnia, the city Opera Omnia, which is, by the way, our runner-up choice for best mobile game. The, uh, the good Dissidia game that came out in 2018. Right? Oh my God, that's so sad. <laughs> God, for the, for the phone one, the gacha mobile game to be better than the fighting one is, is just depressing. Uh, I'm still waiting for that game to get good. And I believe that it has a good core that needs to be extracted from the effing muck that that game is mired in right now. Uh, uh, I'm so mad at Dissidia uh, NT. Yeah. So what do we, do we want, do we want to talk a little bit about like what went wrong there? Like, or cause like, oh, what didn't go wrong there? Um, they <laughs> tried to make a speedy one-on-one <laughs> fighting game into a three-on-three team-based brawler that is floaty, unresponsive, and relies completely upon whether or not your teammates are good. Because if, I mean, of course, team-based stuff is important, but the the match ends when one team gets three kills, which means that if one of your three team members is a weak link and they're off just farting around on the other side of the arena and, and all three of the other enemies corner them or something, they can wipe them out and your entire team can lose before you even have the opportunity to make a difference. Oh my God. The summons are, are completely... Fair and balanced gameplay. <laughs> yeah. It, the, the summons, um, I think, are horribly implemented... There are long cutscenes in the middle of these action-based matches that take way too long, um, are either like too busy visually or too overpowered, 
Um, the characters don't control well. Uh, I don't like that you only have one HP attack in this game. You used to be able to set several. Now you only have one. I assume it has to be a balance issue, but they could have done much better. The menus are unwieldy. The UI is terrible. The lag is horrible. The game loads slowly. Uh, it's it's bad. It's just bad, you guys. <laughs> I, I I'm sorry. I'm sorry, dude. Because, yeah, that, that game looked like it had a lot of potential. And I think we were when they first announced it, I think we were all really excited. Yeah. And then it came out, and we're just like, oh. <laughs> Yeah, it seemed like the Dissidia. I was like, oh, maybe I'll finally try this and pick this up on like one of my systems, but nope. No, don't. Save your money. Um, and it's a shame because, they, I mean, they still have well, one or two characters to release as part of the season pass. Yeah, uh, they're still supporting it. Yeah, so they'll, what, they're going to continue to Which develop characters for it, but they won't address the fundamental issues that are breaking the game. Oh my god, and it uses peer-to-peer servers. It doesn't have dedicated servers for the game. It uses peer-to-peer matching, so... Arf get into a match with somebody who has a crappy connection the entire match sucks because you get nothing but lag oh my god so mad uh so the decidia opera omnia for mobile is um quite a bit more fun it's just like a fairly straightforward uh, three character party turn-based rpg and the nice thing about that game is that the new characters that join you always come through events and they're free like you just complete a story quest and you get them there's no random draws excuse me random draws for characters in that game um i think there are random draws for weapons if i remember correctly but uh it's fine sure whatever yeah it's fairly similar to uh to record keeper yeah uh so dragalia lost best mobile game of 2018 i would actually agree with that if if for nothing but the presentation uh, I, I look forward to every event, and they're very generous and responsive whenever there are issues. Um, there's generally like a new event every three weeks or so, so we're coming up on a new one. It's like a circus-themed one, and uh, they'll introduce new characters. So I look forward to seeing how that game continues to develop, and I could definitely see the Drugalia Lost IP becoming a major thing for Nintendo going forward. Like maybe they'll make a... If they made... Oh my god, If since Grand Blue Fantasy is getting a, a fighting game and a full 3D action RPG... I would love it if Dragalia got that. Put, I would yeah, play that. Yeah, yeah, it'd be lovely. I, mean, I would say it wins you. if only because it hooked you. What's that? I would say it wins if only because of the fact that it hooked you in, of all people. <laughs> I am a notorious hater of the gotcha formula, yes. Just wait until they add uh, one of the characters into Smash or something. I could see it. I could totally see it. And I wouldn't be mad at it either. No? Uh, moving on to our next category, we had best MMORPG or expansion of 2018. Is anybody surprised that we gave it to Final Fantasy XIV Stormblood? No. The, Final, the Final Fantasy XIV award for the best achievement in being Final Fantasy XIV goes to Final <laughs> Fantasy XIV. <laughs> I'm waiting right. for the year that something trumps it. I'm like, is there ever going to be Final it's Fantasy not be this year? There needs to be an MMO, there needs to be an, an MMO that comes out and shakes the mold, I guess, because it's. And then this year yeah. was like 2018 was pretty busy for MMO expansions because we had a new WoW expansion this year, right. too. Uh, yeah, but uh, we did not vote for that. Knowledge. Apparently, is that happened yet, or is it going coming out? It came out. Uh, it came out. It did come out already? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I've heard it had some issues with some of the uh, the content, like the I don't know what they were, uh, Warfronts or something were busted. I, I don't know. I don't play WoW, so that's not to be dismissive. I just I don't. I have no idea. Um, but Final Fantasy XIV, I know all about. Uh, and Caitlin's right. 2019 is not going to be uh, anybody else's year, most likely, what with another expansion, Shadowbringers, coming out. It's, it's looking, I mean, what they're building up to is looking to be awesome. So 
It's very exciting. Uh, for as far as what Final Fantasy XIV did in 2018, we did not have the release of a new expansion, but we did have the continuation of Stormblood's uh, story. So we had three major patches for 14 throughout the year, and each one added, uh, I'm quoting from our little blurb here, added new story content, epic new battles, and some absolutely amazing new music, which I totally agree with. Um, the newest patch just debuted as of last week, the 8th, uh, I believe? Yes. Um, uh, January, yep. So obviously 14 is still going strong and will continue to go strong for a very long time. But uh, the the content that came out in 2018 was just like consistently great. And that's what, that's what 14 does. Um, our runner-up for best MMO was the expansion for Fallen London, which is a browser-based RPG that has actually been going since 2009, I believe. So that sounds so wild. Yeah. Uh, let's see. The, the blurb that we had written up for this says that 2018 saw a wealth of premium story modules that boosted this RPG scope to a staggering 1.7 million words. Oh my God, that is so much writing. <laughs> there is a lot to dig into if you are a fan of that. I've never really looked into it myself before this feature. So, And has it been localized to anything else? The other question, that's a lot. Oh, I don't envy the team on that. Oh, so Peter, before we move out of MMOs, you just linked to an article in chat about something happening in Battle for Azeroth. What's this about? Oh, oh yeah. So um, the, the, the controversy going into Battle for Azeroth was that um, the Horde players were mad because um, the, in the story content, the story for Battle for Azeroth centered around the Horde war chief uh, c- committing genocide against a bunch of night elves, basically, basically cementing that the Horde team is pretty freaking evil. Um, so that half of the player base was a little upset about that. And, uh, that kind of soured things going into battle for Azeroth. And then once the game loaded out, uh, came out, like you said, things weren't very well optimized and those new areas were actually, I think they were delayed. Um, I think we wrote a news article about that earlier this year. Oh, yikes. Last year. Yeah. Yeah. So I think some of that would explain why the reception wasn't positive enough to warrant giving it game of the year, uh, for 2018. Yeah, for sure. It's a shame. Well, I'm very excited about um, Final Fantasy XIV developing. Caitlin, do you, did you have anything to add other than well-deserved? Uh, I mean, I, I I wrote that blurb, so like <laughs> <laughs> that sums up my feelings uh, quite well. Um, so, but I mean, yeah, I, and I'm biased because it's really the only MMO that I play. Um, so, you know, there's that, but I, I don't think it's any less deserving of accolades considering that uh, they've been consistently, uh, every patch has been consistently strong in terms of the story content and all of the, the side content. Um, we, you know, so yeah, so. It's great. It's great. <laughs> it's great. Play, Play it. it. Play it. Play it. <laughs> I swear. We have the same inclination. If you don't like MMOs, play it. Because I wouldn't have thought I liked MMOs when I started playing it. And I, I say this every time we talk about it, but but yeah. definitely play it. Especially now that we have another expansion coming out. There'll be a, a good opportunity for people who haven't played 14 to... Because uh, they'll do what they did with Stormblood, I'm sure, and have a version that has uh, Shadowbringers that gets you also access to uh, Heavensward and Stormblood as well. No doubt. So it's going to be a great year for 14. Jump in while you can. Mm-hmm. Which I just is want a poster. Time. I just want like an Uncle Sam style poster of like Caitlin 
wearing like some sort we of chocobo hat, just being like, "We want you to play the friggin' game <laughs> for the Eorzean Alliance." Yep. Caitlin wants you, <laughs> but not in a free company. It's full. Um, <gasps> no, no. Oh well, yeah, you just finished your house, didn't you, or something, Derek? Oh yeah, uh, we we upgraded our our mansion exterior to the really adorable otter otter um, mansion, and it has cute little otters holding lanterns and wearing little straw hats everywhere. Oh my god, they're so precious! I approve of this. I love them so; they are great. And there are like four active people in my free company, so it's a lot of <laughs> it's a lot of house for a little people, but it's our house, damn it, and I love it. Our next category that I want to discuss is the award for best remake. This is a game that I know at least Greg has played, right? It is Pokemon Let's Go Pikachu and Let's Go Eevee. Huzzah! Um, how much have you gotten to dig into that since you got it for Christmas, Greg? Myself? Not as much. Uh, I definitely, when we got our Switch, more uh, was... Uh, we got Breath of the Wild. I mean... Yeah. <laughs> Hard to tear away from that. Yeah, uh, I was basically been focusing on that Battle Chef Brigade because Battle Chef Brigade is rad as well. It is. Uh, but Gwen, as she said in the episode, she dabbled with ours a bit as well. But because she had it so far in advance on her dad's, she hasn't really gotten into it. She was more uh, keen on finally playing Undertale. So she's mm. been stoked on that. Uh, oh, so cool. yeah, let's go, Evie. I've seen a bit of it. It looks magical. Like I just love seeing the red, blue, yellow world popping off the page, so to speak. Oh, yeah. And just so vibrant and lifelike. Um, and I just like the, the fresh change on the, like, I, I kind of do miss the random encounters to, to a point, but I get where it, it had to change. And I do look forward to what this portends for uh, the next generation installment in this, whether they use this engine or something very similar, it's going to be, it's going to be so snazzy. Yeah, I uh, I don't think I've ever like gr- it's been a while since I've like grinned ear to ear playing a video game like just from the word go. But man, Pokemon Let's Go hit like all my nostalgia buttons. I adored this game. It's super <laughs> cute. I've I've been enjoying it too, and I'm not a Pokemon fan, so yeah. Wasn't this it, it, not if not your first game? Like it's been the first one you've played in a while, Caitlin. Yeah, the only I played blue. I think I got the blue version. Oh wow. Gen one, and then I played a couple hours of X and lost interest. So, fair. <laughs> so it's been yeah. I am I am by no means a Pokemon fan, and I like this game. It's cute. It's adorable. It's you know, it's good. Yeah, it just I I think on my personal awards, I gave it the filled me with childlike glee award, and I'm just like yeah, it's this is like it brings a game world that I was like very familiar with as a kid to like cutting edge high definition life but also like maintains everything about it that was like it's very authentic um i love the all the animations for the pokemon how like they follow behind you and you can see them like like if you have a rattata walk behind you and it'll like run ahead of you and stop and wait for you to catch up um that's so cute yes almost what draws me on the most i love that so much i was like are there more pokemon that do that yeah, yeah, I don't know. Um, I know, like, if you ride a Snorlax, you hold on to its belly, which is good and pure and the best thing ever. Yeah, like, a lot of the Pokemon have unique animations or, or behaviors when you take them out. Mm-hmm. Like, if you get if you have Mew from the Pokeball Go uh, Plus, it'll, like, flit around, and it will do similar to Rattata. It'll run ahead of you and and uh, <clears throat> uh, just kind of do its own thing. It'll still path alongside you for the most part. But mm-hmm. Or, like, if you, like... Uh, Stephen, Peter, Stephen, where are you? Uh, 
your your ghost is still echoing through the halls of random encounter uh central <laughs> yeah like peter said uh like snorlax or bats on his tummy or what like don't you no i'm thinking of sun moon do you still like ride in machoke's arms or something no that's uh right. no that was in that was in sun and moon um i don't i you can ride on haunter's head okay um and if you and if you ride a if you if you take a Kangaskhan out of the ball, your partner your partner Pokemon rides in the pouch while you ride on its head. Yes. Okay. Love that. It's game so of the cute. year. Feature yeah, of the year. My favorite was I transferred over because I play the mobile game uh, Pokemon Go pretty often, mm-hmm. um, and I transferred over an Alolan Sandshrew, because um, the Alolan forms are in this game and it's cute. Um, mm-hmm. I like that. And uh, when it follows you, it curls up into a ball and spins around like Sonic the Hedgehog. <laughs> Love that. <laughs> yeah, so many, so many great touches, right, that really bring the world of Kanto uh, to life and show exactly what they were trying to achieve with this, which was to, like, give mm-hmm. a very cute kind of accessible experience that is both for yeah. fans of the original games who maybe haven't touched one in a long time and, like, younger players, so... I, I don't know if I would go so far to say it's the definitive Gen 1 version because Fire Red Leaf Green still has kind of a more traditional, like just in terms of like, okay, now we have abilities we have. Right. Well, Let's Go doesn't have passive abilities and it, a few of the mechanics are slightly sim- are simplified. Yeah. Um, but it's still definitely, I think it's the, the most accessible Pokemon mm-hmm. game easily. Um, I actually really like how they implemented the Pokemon Go stuff, even if I want them to... I want them to kind of merge the two a bit in Gen A. I don't want. I. I, I don't. I wouldn't mind random battles being gone for good, but I do want battles against wild Pokemon to at least be an option, yeah. um, because it makes XP nice. grinding easier. Um, is my sole reason for that? Because uh, it was very easy to over level your team in in Let's Go because of um, uh, catching chains of Pokemon gets you a really really big XP boost. Um, <laughs> oh gotcha. Yeah, so that that would that, that, that this is like this is the weird nitpicky side of it as as a, someone who's been playing the games more more and more recently. I think but, that's okay um, because the it's it's important to take into consideration how <clears throat> like if they're going to implement balance changes that were debuted in Let's Go going forward, we want to make sure that they're going to work well with future iterations. And I, I personally, I feel like I would be happy if the Let's Go series continued as kind of its own independent thing. But oh, yeah. I do think there are lessons to take from it into Gen Eight. Yeah, absolutely. Like I wouldn't mind if they if they had this as its own thing and did like a Let's Go Gold and Silver um, next while they work on new games too, like uh, or something. It'd be a good lines. bridge. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I think both can exist: the core Pokemon games and Let's Go. Um, I know that there's some of the fan base is a little upset with this one. I'm just like, it's harmless. It's fun. I love yeah. it. <laughs> it's very baby's first Pokemon. And I think that accessibility to younger generations is really great too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And there's no reason why this can't exist alongside the more traditional, uh, you know, Pokemon experience too. Yeah, exactly. You can, mm-hmm. you can have kinda, both. Yeah, it's like a less um, less competitive, so to speak. Because I find like the main generation definitely you you've go through the story and don't get super heavy into the the breeding aspects and maxing out stats and training for mm-hmm. online battles and stuff like that they'll really enjoy this more casual version for lack of a better term mm-hmm. where they can just experience the joy of like just go out and catch some pokemon and mm-hmm. run around in this beautiful world with your pet ratata go on hurry up man so Time for adventure. Really nice. 
Although, oh yeah, man, exactly. Oh man, they make they actually they they do make it really easy to get to see your Pokemon's uh, IV stats, though. Um, uh, once you once you fill out a certain amount of the Pokedex, one of Professor Oak's aides basically gives you this item, and then you can press a button and see your Pokemon's IVs like instantly. And once they Ooh. did that, it's like I'm gonna catch twenty Growlithes until I catch one with perfect stats. Don't <laughs> yeah. question it. Don't question it. Good thing they get that to you late. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> I wonder been. if this is going to integrate it all into the next gen where you can capture Pokemon from this and then transfer them over to that game as well. Yeah, I who knows? <clears throat> I wonder. We'll find out. We'll find Maybe out. We'll find out. Um, just Probably this it. year. Yes. Yeah, right, because it's supposed to come out this year, Jenny. Um, yeah. Just to give it its little uh, acknowledgement here, our, our runner-up for the best remake category was for Yakuza Kiwami 2, haven't played it um, somewhere. The ghost of Robert Steinman is turning over in its grave, which there isn't one yet because he's not dead. Um, <laughs> he's dead to Jeepers. us. Damn that got bleak. Yeah, like I, the I, ghost of Robert's future. Sure. Hey, Rob, we'll Rob, has, Rob has died many times, but he always comes back. It's the Dark Souls in him. He's got to yep, collect his soul. There it is. So he's going to come and collect my soul if I don't get on Yakuza Kiwami 2 pretty soon. But um, from what I've heard, it's a great remake. And obviously enough staff thought so to vote for it as such. So mm-hmm. go for Yakuza. Our next category, we have three category awards left, uh, is for Best Strategy RPG of 2018. And the winner for Wee. that was Valkyria Chronicles 4. Huzzah! Uh, I want to play that back. series. Yet another thing you haven't played, Greg. You shame us. You shame <laughs> us all. I haven't played it either. You shame us, Caitlin. I haven't gotten around to it. That's okay. I, I had a choice when I went on vacation over Christmas, and that was to either play Valkyrie Cross 4 or uh, Octopath Traveler, and I chose Octopath. So. You made the right choice. I was going to yeah. say, that's a hard choice, but I think you you made the right one. I think you made the right one. Peter, have you played Valkyria 4? No, I haven't. I actually I haven't played any of the Valkyria games. It's 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 on my, oh my, uh, okay. in my pile of shame. Greg and I are forgiven because that is a much worse offense. I'm sorry. <laughs> the worst thing the worst thing is is that I had a copy of it on PS3 and I lost it in the move. So uh, so now it's like, well, okay. Well, luckily it's available for uh Switch and PS4 and Yeah, Steam. it's on like it's on like everything now. So right? I'll, I'll yeah. get to it. Yeah. I kind of wish I didn't have it on Steam cuz I would definitely pick it up on Switch, but I I do not like buying the theme the same game over and over and over again if I can help it. Yeah. Greg, teach me your ways. <laughs> it's called holding on to every console ever. <laughs> Ooh, I don't have that skill. <laughs> right. Power is where I struggle. Um, but well, Valkyrie Chronicles 4, yeah. Yeah, the only person in this lineup who's played it, I actually wrote the review for the website, and I thought it was pretty good. Uh, I awarded it an 80, 8 out of 10, so like a B. And uh, I think what it, what it sort of lacks which is strong characterization and writing um it has a pretty good localization despite that but the like there are just some moments and character beats that i'm just like no nope don't want that don't like that it can really descend into like the anime tropes um uh, to a degree that's uh, eye roll worthy it's not like offensive it's just like ugh, this is so dumb um that aside i think it's just a really it's a solid strategy rpg i think that the the story can it does go places but not until quite late in the game and the uh, the battles, though, uh, I think are some of the best in the entire series in terms of just how complex they can get and the 
objectives are very dynamic and surprising for some of the missions. It's not always just maneuver your enemy, or maneuver your squad to the other side or kill every enemy. They'll have all kinds of weird stuff. Like there's one where you have to, uh, you have your, you have a ship like in a glacier crevasse and you have to defend it from oncoming enemies and like bombs that are parachuting down and snipers and stuff. Or there are some where you have to break through enemy territory in a tank, but then like once you get there, you have to actually go to a different area or there's ones against the, the Valkyrie, Valkyrie, I don't know, Valkyrie or whatever you want to call them. Um, the like titular sort of, you. yeah, the ancient race, right. Or like the people with superpowers. So there's one where there's like uh, the, the, the sort of main antagonist Valkyrie. And this one is a, an ice wielding maiden. So she can like have giant ice lances firing at you. Like you're squall and you're about to die at the end of disc one. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's you canon. It's cute. I understood that reference. Ah, thank you, uh, Captain. <laughs> yeah, so I think that some of the battle um, setups are very interesting and are what really pushed that game into deserving the award for the site for best strategy RPG of 2018. For our runner up, we had the Banner Saga 3. I hadn't even finished the Banner Saga 1. <laughs> so. <laughs> I need to catch up on that. Greg, have you, you said you have them, right? I have the first one and it's one I've a series again. I've always meant to get into it. Just haven't had the time to invest into it. Gotcha. Peter, I know it'll suck me in. No, I, I, I unfortunately I have to pass on this one too. <laughs> uh, I checked out the very first part of the original banner saga, but I have not gotten around to playing the rest of it or the rest of the games. And I need to do that because I keep hearing amazing things about the whole series. Yeah, the listeners are going to doubt our cred. They're going to be like, wait a minute. So they gave all these awards to these games, but none of them have actually played them. <laughs> Not the four of us. We have a staff of like 50 plus people at this point. So just because all of us haven't played it uh, here doesn't mean that mm -hmm. the staff hasn't. Yeah, I mean, Banner Saga 3, from what I've seen, I, I played a, a decent amount of the first one. And I thought that the uh, the writing was strong. The decision making was very intense, and uh, the consequences are quite grave. It's not exactly my style, like in, in actually just in terms of aesthetics, but um, it's a solid strategy RPG. And from what I've heard, and from what I'm reading here in our blurb, it's a solid conclusion to this series. So that's going to be one I'm going to have to pick up in the future. Well, I just love that both those games reward tactics and have. Uh, like the start of the strategy and tactics that you use as opposed to just simply power level your characters and bull through stuff. Yeah, it's quite high, like high risk, high reward gameplay. Um, a lot of hard hitting attacks or uh, like dire consequences if you don't make a good move. So yeah. Mm. These things matter. Quite good. Mm -hmm. More of that chess aspect. Yes, sir. Our second to last, our penultimate category is for best traditional RPG of 2018. Nobody is surprised, I'm sure, but the winner was Dragon Quest XI, Echoes of an Elusive Age. Uh, I mean, what's there to say? We've talked a lot about Dragon Quest on the show. It is it is just a good-ass JRPG. What's to say is the award that uh, Peter gave it. <laughs> now, I have a question. How does good-ass differ from bad-ass? Mm, that's a good question. I think um, one of them, the latter is a little bit more punk, and this one is just like, plays by the rules but does everything really well okay it's like goes to the gym wholesome, does, does its homework on time <laughs> it does it does do its homework on time um i just wish that its composer wasn't a crap crap bag 
Uh, yeah. I, I, yep. So, oh yeah, my reward for it was the best game with the worst music of 2018. And yeah. I, uh, <laughs> I'm going to stand by that because Square, you need to lose Sugiyama. Like, you need to drop him like a hot sack of coals. It's it's time. I mean, he's gonna he's gonna he's gonna keel over before you do that anyway. But yeah, it's just hope. I think the music is just not. Um, it's no longer appropriate. I think for the sort of renewed, enhanced, improved visual presentation of the series. Um, yeah, it's like Haley Joel Osment's voice in Kingdom Hearts Three. Um, I'm, just, I'm, just, <laughs> wow. I'm gonna go there, it's, dude. Dude, you're thirty years old. Yeah, you're 30 he, plus years old <laughs> and you're still playing a you know what like a 19 year old with the mind of a 13 year old yeah like d- spiky spiky haired dumb butt mickey over here um <laughs> i but um I, I you know though it's funny because um i've seen a huge swath of the dragon quest fan community just get up in arms in favor, like, like defending the music. Like it's part of the experience. It's part of the nostalgia. You know, it's meant to sound like this. And it's like, no, I don't think this. I think, I think you're willing to give a little too much leeway to a soundtrack that is not only of poor quality, but also kind of anemic on original tunes. Like there's a lot of recycled music in 11, but uh, it's very underwhelming. It's a good thing that the main game is amazing. It is. The game is incredible, but there are parts in the game where I just like, especially in sort of like the more overworld areas or connecting zones, um, you get to like the same map theme that just plays ad nauseum and it is not good in the first place. Yeah, it's just that gets old so fast. (laughs) Right? And that game, it's like an 80 to 100 hour RPG, so you do not want to be listening to that same song. I mean, of course, the same criticism could be made of any game that's very long and has only one world map theme, but in this case, like not only is it sort of unfitting, I mean, it's subjective, right? But I, I just think it's not even a good song. And a lot of the music in the game is so underwhelming to me. It just feels flat and uninspired. So, I mean, we're harping on the music, but the game, it won our award for Best Traditional RPG of the Year for a reason. It is just an incredibly solid and satisfying, long, traditional Japanese RPG. You have you go on the, the epic sort of hero's journey you meet a cast of fantastic companions, um, pretty much all of whom gets their due in the story, maybe some less so than others, but uh, I think every character has at least one interesting turn. Um, Silvando is amazing. He won our award for best supporting character for a reason. Uh, the combat is great. It, it builds upon the foundation of Dragon Quest. It has uh, a great character customization system that lets each character sort of specialize in one of several different branches more or less of their little like license board looking thing uh i i mean that's just it's great it is solid it is everything you want like a good comfort food rpg to be and it's for that reason that it won our award um the runner-up in that category is octopath traveler another incredibly excellent traditionally styled japanese rpg but one that is less afraid to break the mold um it's got kind of that traditional structure in place of like you have a four character party the battles are turn-based um, pixelated graphics uh, but what it does differently is it has the eight different characters each of which has their own point of view and story and uh, you can recruit all the other characters into your party and you clear each character's story sort of like one chapter at a time um, some criticism has been heaped upon the game for not intertwining the stories better and I, I don't think that's undeserved. I do think that that's a consideration because they do kind of feel like eight separate stories. 
but um, Octopath Traveler does I, the music in that game is phenomenal. One of the best soundtracks of the year. I think we awarded it best music of the year actually on the site. Um, incredibly dynamic. Several. It has like three or four battle themes, three boss themes, all of which stand on their own as like a definingly good battle theme that, that each each one could like carry one game, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. So uh, they're super good. The characters are fun. The writing is generally pretty sharp, even if it doesn't get. Uh, it's not as nuanced as it could be, I think, but overall the game is just an absolute treat if you're a fan of classic RPGs. And uh, I really like what they've done with the, the battle system and being able to expend like these BP to power up your characters every turn to make attacks stronger or um, affect a wider range or whatever. So it's got a really good battle system that you can kind of break at endgame, which is one of the joys of turn-based RPGs finding out like ooh, if i get this exact combination of characters with this job and that job i can do all these cool things um tressa with the, the what is it uh one of the extra jobs that you get is just op because she can do like sidestep to dodge a physical attack and spread it to everybody with like four turns it's stupid stupid how good it is um you all played octopath traveler too right yes sir i've done the demo so far I quite literally just took the shrink wrap off my copy, <laughs> but, yeah. but it is, it is, it is on the 2019 catch up list. Uh, trademark. TM. I think you'll have plenty to enjoy once you dig into that. I played both demos and loved what I played. So it looks beautiful and I'm really excited to, to, to dig in. Yeah. And it sounds like it performed better than Square Enix expected, which once again, it's kind of a mystery how Square Enix keeps being like, Whoa, people want turn-based RPGs. Um, wow, wow, people like the games that we made our reputation on? So huh. it's, it sounds like um, very recently they tweeted that a new Bravely game was in development and also Octopath is sort of, um, I forget if it's the same team or like business division or whatever, but it, it is, sounds like. Uh, sorry, it's the same, I think it's the same di- division, but um, they outsource some of the development to a different studio. Okay. Um. Not entirely exactly sure how that works, but I'm pretty sure that's that it's the same division within Square, which they um bumped up to being one of their primary uh uh one of their like main development teams over there, which is pretty cool. Yeah, which once again, why y'all why y'all acting brand new? Like we we have been expressing our interest in Japanese RPGs for many years. Hey Square, 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 you wanna do something cool? Give them Final Fantasy sixteen. Yeah. Just do it. <laughs> Just yeah. That I could would be cool. I would like to see Naoki Yoshida head a uh, mainline offline Final Fantasy, but I also don't want to take him away from fourteen. Oh no, it's I, not, I, not going to be done with fourteen for years. That that is like my main dream too. But I also agree. Yeah, he seems to be doing great work over um, at fourteen. Considering he like single handedly resuscitated that game. That's that's yeah. oversimplifying the narrative, but. Yeah. But uh, we could at least get uh, Yasunori Nishiki, the, the composer for Octopath on Final Fantasy 16. That'd be cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The music in yeah. Octopath is outstanding. Mm-hmm. Unlike uh, well, the music in Dragon Quest. <laughs> right, yeah. See, that's where Octopath did one thing way better. Uh, we have one more category, and that is the Unconventional Award. It's the award for Best Unconventional or Hybrid RPG of 2018. We gave that to Dead Cells. Uh one that I haven't gotten into, I have watched quite a bit of it. I have a buddy who who has the game, and he kind of introduced me to it, and I watched him play through several runs of it, and it looks like it'd be right up my alley, but um, I keep waiting for it to go on a good sale. It has never dropped beneath $5 off, 
and I want it to be like $10 off for me to justify buying it. I don't know. It's like my, my little flag that I set, but um, have you played it anybody, Peter? Have you played Dead Souls? Uh, it's on my to-do list again. I'm, I'm sorry. This I don't year, want to hear I, your excuses. I play, I play, I played a lot of Breath of the Wild and Near Automata in 2018. Like I had to catch up on 2017. Um, but Dead Souls looks outstanding. Um, I'm very. I know Steven's played a lot of it. He seems to be really digging on it. Um, ghost of Steven passed. The ghost of the ghost of Steven passed. I think I just heard his voice. Um, Kingdom Hearts. Filled me with the power of darkness, baby. <laughs> That's what I tell all my lovers. Um, <laughs> whoa. What about speaking of lovers, Greg? Have you played yeah. that song? No, I have not. Uh, I was again reading a lot of uh, Stephen's hype on it, that, uh, and I took a good look at it back at PAX twenty fifteen. I want to say. Oh, some time ago. Or no, PAX. No, no, it was in twenty seventeen. Sorry, I am going way back. So oh. that would have been yeah, PAX twenty seventeen. I remember seeing it there, and it looked really impressive. So I like dabbled a bit with their demo that they had, but beyond that, I don't know much about it. It's one of those games where you die a lot, but um, deaths don't feel like roadblocks. They just feel like, okay, I learned something, or I unlocked something new for my next playthrough, or whatever. So yeah, last game to really get me uh, with that format was Rogue Legacy, and I've heard Dead Cells compared favorably to Rogue Legacy on several occasions. So, and that's that's good praise in my books because Rogue Legacy is great at that. I'm guessing Caitlin, it's no go for you. No, it's it, I, Metroidvania's are not kind of my cup of tea. So well, if you're gonna play, don't play times better. Um, well, let's trust the other fifty plus people on staff uh, who say it's the best unconventional RPG of 2018. I believe them. And our runner-up in this category was Forgotten Anne, which is a 2D um, like side scroller puzzle solver, and it looks like a kind of like a Studio Ghibli film with the art style, or like maybe an older Studio Ghibli film. Um, it looks beautiful. I don't know a lot about it besides that it looks it nice. Yeah, but uh, it, it seems to have also been received quite favorably. So um, we also have an entire suite of awards for best sort of element, which I have touched upon, uh, like best combat visuals, etc. I don't really want to go into the same level of discussion on each one, so I'm just going to read through them if that's all right. Um, we had the best combat of 2018. We awarded that to Octopath Traveler, very well deserved from our previous discussion. Yep. And our up was Monster Hunter World. Um, has a lot of different weapon types and strategies that you can employ, so I understand where that came from. The best visuals of 2018 we gave to Octopath Traveler as well, which is quite a feat in a year with... Um, I mean, if you want to talk high-fidelity JRPGs, there was Dragon Quest XI. And then uh, God of War was our runner-up in that category. So for Octopath to beat God of War, I think says a lot about the uh, importance of good art direction and not just, like how many polygons are on screen, right? But God of War is yeah. also. So uh, congrats to Octopath Traveler for winning that one. Very well deserved. In the best music category, once again, Octopath Traveler. We just uh, spoiled that a couple minutes ago, but I think it absolutely deserves it. Um, especially, I think, the character themes. I forgot to mention before, every character's theme is wonderful, and I love their motifs that tie into their pre-battle little um, lead-ups. Our runner-up in that category for best music was Time Spinner. Uh, it's got a great soundtrack by Jeff Ball, and it feels very Castlevania, like very gothic. I would highly recommend checking that out. It's on Bandcamp. You can buy it. Next, we had the best protagonist of 2018. Caitlin, how do you feel about this? It was Cassandra from Assassin's Creed Odyssey. Cassandra is... Um, I'm going to drop an F-bomb. Cassandra's... 
fucking awesome. Okay, y'all. She's the baddest. <laughs> yes. I mean, who would have thought that Ubisoft of all uh, uh, developers would create not only a female protagonist in an Assassin's Creed game because they're so hard to, to make, right? But that they would make her so well. I mean, like, and let's, to be fair, you know, Alexis is also really awesome. It's not like they are 100% distinct characters, but there's enough flair difference in the way their actors portray them. And Cassandra is just, she's a really great character. She's strong. She's funny. She's charismatic. Uh, she's, you know, she's, she's the whole package. And um, the fact that she's a woman is kind of like a icing on top of being a great character to begin with. So yeah, it's kind of like a, a femship uh, situation where she kind of edges out with the more interesting performance, at least in my opinion. Mm-hmm. That was great. I'm glad you're happy. She looks like a cool character. Um, for the runner-up in that category, we had Kazuma Kiryu, the protagonist of Yakuza 6, Song of Life, and Yakuza Kiwami 2. Um, as somebody who has played four Yakuza games but beaten none of them, um, I can say that he is a very charismatic and enjoyable character, and he is daddy AF. So <laughs> I highly support him. And, like, literally, too. He, he like, has a baby in number six. Crying Not his daddy. own. But he... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, uh, it's like an adoptive father to it. Yeah, crime daddy. He's so bad. Arrest me. Um, anyway, <laughs> uh, best supporting character of 2018, we gave that to Silvando from Dragon Quest XI, who is yes, super fun. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Yes. I mean, I love him. I love him. I touched upon it in previous episodes, um, not to get into all of it, but I was just worried that, like, as kind of a gay stereotype, that he would be played for laughs. He's not. He's genuine. He's fun. Everybody seems to enjoy his exuberance. Like, and he's a good person. He fights for what's right. He cares about people. He's he's just a generally positive force in the world of Dragon Quest XI. And considering that, like, things go very awry, he is a really he's like kind of spearheading the charge of like, no, things aren't over. We can still bring positivity back into the world. So that that whole bit where you have to walk back to one of the main towns with his theater troupe, yeah. Um, yeah, that that whole scene is so it's it's so wonderfully on brand for Silvando, but it's also like it's it's just a breath of fresh air and optimism into a world that desperately needs it, and that's that makes him such a great character. I just I love it. I can't get enough of him. And yeah. for a series like Dragon Quest, which is so fundamentalist, is a word like in, in Japan coming from the power the the like politically in Japan them doing such a good job with Silvando's character. I guess, again, I was, it's surprising, but also welcome. Yeah. He's a great guy. And uh runner up for that category was given to Goro Majima from Yakuza Kiwami 2. He's kind of like the foil to main character Kiryu. He's the crazy dude with the eye patch who just pops up all the time and wacky hijinks ensue whenever he's on screen. He's a fun dude. The uh, best overall cast of 2018 we gave to Dragon Quest XI, Echoes of an Elusive Age. Not much of a surprise there. It includes Sylvanda, who is our best supporting character, and uh, <laughs> pretty, much, pretty much everybody else gets their due as well. Um, the only character I would say that I was underwhelmed by, well, actually two. I think Jade and Eric are a little underdeveloped. Um, oh, I like Jade. <laughs> I know I like Jade plenty. I think I didn't like her her final sort of arc there. I think she's a little underdeveloped, but she's That's still a great fair. character. The cast is still Eric. good. Eric is uh, Eric, Eric would probably be my pick just because his voice sounds like Christian Bale trying to do a Boston <laughs> accent. <laughs> it is kind of out of place, isn't it? 
Um, but overall, we love the cast. And our runner-up, we gave to Octopath Traveler. How could you not with eight strong, um, like strongly characterized uh, protagonists that you can switch between? It makes her a very compelling overall cast. Absolutely. Uh, yep. Best localization of 2018, we gave to, no surprise, Dragon Quest XI. Uh, with a, a game that has a town where characters speak entirely in haiku and um, there's different manners of like rhyming scheme. There are puns everywhere. The writing in that game is just on another level. And I can see why it took them like a year plus to get that game out in English because it is so richly like sculpted into this amazing textual product. I'm so happy with that game. Um, very well-deserved vocalization award. And the runner-up goes to Yakuza 6, A Song of Life. Um, similar idea, um, because Yakuza 6 takes place in Japan, they did a really good job of balancing like the Japanese cultural aspects with um, making it palatable and intelligible for Western audiences. So cheers to them. Uh, a couple more. Best story we gave to Dragon Quest XI. I think probably because the uh, the story, while traditional, is still compelling and well executed, and it has three kind of uh, distinct acts, all of which are um, very engaging and go places that you may not expect, uh, even despite its kind of traditional structure. Mm -hmm. um, runner up, we gave to 428 Shibuya Scramble, which is fitting because that won our award for best visual novel, and that game just is a story. So uh, I again will highly recommend that, and I think it's a well deserved winner for best runner-up in the best story category. Uh, best DLC, we gave to Xenoblade Chronicles 2, Torn of the Golden Country. Caitlin, I, I imagine you have words to say on that. Uh, I do, well, I I do. Uh, it's good. <laughs> I liked it. Um, it's good. It's a great... It, I always kind of like to think of it, it's a really good mini Xenoblade experience. Like It has all of the different parts that you'd expect from a Xenoblade game, just in a smaller package that is easily digestible in, uh, well, depending on how fast you play through it. You could probably get through it in a day if you were really dedicated to it. But, you know, it's a, it's a nice, brief experience that still has all those little bits and pieces that make a Xenoblade game a Xenoblade game. Um, yeah, so, and, and still great music. Still great music, and it even addresses some of the issues with, uh, say, the, you know, the gameplay from the original game uh, to make things run smoother and faster. So um, there's there's that too. But like you know, it's good. It is good. I would agree. I had a nice experience with it too. And our runner-up was the Monster Hunter World post-launch support. We had a whole year basically of free DLC added that included. Um, new armor sets, new bosses to fight, uh, including the Behemoth from Final Fantasy XIV made an appearance. Or I guess fifteen. I don't know which one it was supposed to be from. 14. 14. Yeah. Right, since they had a 14 quest in, um, or Monster Hunter quest in 14. Got it. So that was our uh, award for runner-up. And finally, our 2018 game of the year. Stop me if you saw this coming. Uh, it's not Persona 5. It is uh, <laughs> Dragon Quest XI, Echoes of an Elusive Age. Very well-deserved. I don't know why I'm Woo! clapping. There's somebody here to listen to me clapping, but uh, congrats. Congrats. <laughs> a little golf clap for it. Yeah, you get a shiny gold award graphic on our uh, event, or sorry, our feature page, which I hope they they deign to include in their marketing or something because uh, it's very pretty. Uh, we love Dragon Quest Eleven. talked about it at length on the podcast previous to this and throughout this episode. Uh, it's just an excellent game, pretty much from top to bottom, uh, despite its few foibles, and I think it deserved Game of the Year. Um, Runner-up, 
was Octopath Traveler, which uh, as considering that it ran up Dragon Quest XI in a lot of the other categories, it's probably no surprise that it made our, our runner up as well. Mm-hmm. So 2018, what a year for RPGs. We had some of the biggest names. Um, you know, it's been quite a long time since a mainline Dragon Quest game released uh, stateside, a new one at least, like barring the 3DS ports of seven and eight. So it was it was Dragon Quest's year to finally come back and prove why it's one of the formative pillars of the RPG genre. Um, and congrats to Octopath Traveler as well for sort of proving that the traditional structure, if played with and presented in a sufficiently compelling fashion, can still set our hearts ablaze. So um, great games this year. I can't wait to see what 2019's got. You can look forward to us discussing that in depth very soon as we have a most anticipated feature going up in the near future. And that will no doubt be discussed on the podcast. Um, before we move away from Game of the Year altogether, uh, all of you who are here wrote up some editor's choice picks. Um, is there anything you'd like to say about any of your picks? I'll, I'll just go in order. Caitlin? Uh, well, we already kind of talked about most of mine. Um, two of them were to Xenoblade uh, for the DLC and also for music. Um, the the other one I the only other one that that I guess I would mention is um I may have been the only one who talked about it. Um I really like Detroit Become Human. Mm-hmm. Um that probably just sounds uh either weird or just like uh like it's a David Cage game, whatnot. It's a David Cage game, but I had a good time with it. And I think part of the reason why is that um, all of the main characters were great. I didn't really find that I super disliked a main character, which is unusual for uh, David Cage games. I don't always, yeah. yeah. There's always at least one character in a, in a Quantic Dream game that I cannot stand or is, you know, yeah. Uh, but my favorite was, of course, uh, Connor. I think most people who played the game would agree that Connor's story is the best out of the three, and it's in large part because uh, the actors behind the characters, Brian Deckard, who plays uh, Connor, did a great job, and he had amazing chemistry with the other major character in uh, Connor's story, um, Hank, the police detective, played by Clancy Brown. So... They both did an amazing job, but I had to give mention to uh, to Brian Deckard because I'd never heard of him before. This is one of the first, I think, major um, uh, performances by him, and I really hope that it's going to lead to doing more stuff because he's a he's a great actor, and he's from what I can tell from like watching him stream stuff on Twitch, he seems like he's a great guy. So I'm hoping for more good things for him. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that you drew attention to it because I know that that game hasn't come up in um, a lot of discussions on the site since release. So I know that you've been kind of like an advocate for it, for what, for what it did do right. So, yeah, that's, that's kind of becoming my thing. I guess I'm standing <laughs> kind of hard for games that you're getting shit on otherwise. Oh. <laughs> hey, somebody's got to be the defender, right? Mm. Well, very good. Uh, Peter, how about you? Anything that you wanted to share about your list? Uh, for the most part, I think we covered just about everything on my list. Uh, the only I, I played Shadow Hearts for the first time this year. That was a lot of fun. I love that game. Yay. Great, uh, great RPG. Glad I was able to get a hold of it. Thank you, Stephanie. I love you. Um, uh, my uh, 
only real thing is that I'd probably would. I, I think I'm being a little too mean to Nino Cooney by putting it as most disappointing. It's not that bad. I just wasn't a fan of it. Uh, if I w- could rewrite these awards with added hindsight, I probably would have given that to Darksiders three because who boy. All right. Uh. Yeah. You think you wrote those before you played Darksiders? I did. Yeah. Um, okay. And I, uh, it, I, it's Darksiders three is like, just kind of salt in the wound. Cause there's stuff in it where you're like, this could have been good. The main character is really cool. Uh, I like some of the ideas here, but we kind of churned out a mediocre Dark Souls clone and it is glitchy as all heck, or at least it was around launch, around launch, around launch. What? Uh, Yeah, around launch, the game, the game barely ran like it stuttered frequently. Combat was sluggish. At one point, the skybox vanished on me like entirely, Um, (laughs) complete with the lighting going dark and all the objects in the environment starting to flicker in and out of existence. Like I was in the twilight zone. It was bad. Um, So yeah, it was just disappointing in general. Um, And then like, like yeah. And then they've, they have been patching it to, to the credit at the team at gunfire games. They have been patching it and taking fan feedback. I kind of hope they get another shot at it, but I'm also curious about, uh, how they're going to do that if they do, because the next horseman strife, it primarily uses guns as a weapon. And these games have been third person action adventure games. And now I'm getting bad dirge of Cerberus flashbacks. That's exactly what I was thinking when you said that. I was like, uh, it's like, Oh, this, this doesn't bode well. Does it? Um, Somebody call Vincent Valentine. Shoot. I, I have a really cool uh, Vincent Valentine uh, figure um, I got for Christmas, so I'm just going to look at that and feel better about that. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, here's hoping that uh, we don't need to lock Darksiders 4 in the basement of the Shinra Mansion. Let's yeah, fingers, fingers crossed. <laughs> Very good. Greg, anything that you'd like to say about your picks? Um, one that I put up for in the awards, but I just think nobody really knew it or played it that much, was Battle Chasers Night War which I gave right. as my best game of 2018, which, although released in 2017, got its Switch port in 2018, so I counted it, darn it. I um, really just, yeah, really enjoyed that game for what it does, meshing the whole Western stylistic mentality with the JRPG elements in such a beautiful way that it was just such a fun game to play. It's been a while since I've had time to play like such a tight experience that was also just a joy, so... I love that, and I think people should definitely dive into it. It was my first editor's choice, which was really satisfying to give to it. Nice. Um, otherwise, I finally played Final Fantasy VI this year, which I noted, uh, which is something that definitely needed to be fixed. So that was uh, so good to get into. What a good game. It really is. It's a classic for a reason. Yeah, and I'm, I'm sad I missed out on it for, for so long. And then lastly, it's just nice finally playing Breath of the Wild. Its soundtrack was incredible to listen to blind, so to speak. Like It captivated so much of the imagery from the game so exceptionally well that having now played it, most of what I pictured while listening is all there. So it's great. I'm glad you got a chance to play it. It's worth it. Mm -hmm. That's a very good game. As for me, I did not write up any Game of the Year awards this year for the website just due to my own hectic schedule. If pressed to, to pick something on the spot, I would say Dragon Quest XI ranks very highly, as does uh, Octopath, 428 should be a scramble, Time Spinner, um, and a very, very notable shout-out to a non-RPG, although I'm sure there are others, Celeste. Celeste came out in, uh, I believe, January of 2018, if I'm not mistaken. Um, it was pretty think- early, yeah. 
Yeah, if, it, if it came out before that, then screw it. I'm including it. Um, Celeste, just what an incredible game. Um, it's it's a game that spoke to a lot of my own um, issues and anxieties. I mean, I, I have an anxiety disorder and I struggle with it a lot. And <clears throat> there are times when I'm vocal about it. There are times when I kind of uh, hide it and try to endure or whatever. But Celeste, uh, I've never seen it. I've never seen anxiety as an illness addressed in a game quite like Celeste. And Celeste is not only, I mean, not only does it have a story that's uh, resonant with me, but it's just an incredibly tight platformer that's very, very satisfying. It's it's very skill-based, but it's fair. And it has some phenomenal music. One of the best soundtracks of the year, I think. And I'm still listening to it and the remix album. Um, the composer, Lena Rain, did an amazing job. And I... I hope to see her work uh, continue to flourish in the future because that game is just like an all around home run for me. Absolutely love Celeste. Uh, great year for games. Uh, look forward to our discussion on 2019's most anticipated, probably in our next episode, if not the one after that, but probably next episode. Before we uh, leave for today, I just wanted to talk about a few bits of news that are big and making waves in the game world. So we're only a few weeks away from Kingdom Hearts 3 as a, Peter and I were discussing in the pre-show. Oh my God, it's like about to be a thing. I want it. I need it. It has been 84 years. <laughs> it is, yeah. <laughs> 84 years. It's it okay. not 84 Just years over 10. I remember anything. Anything at all. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's going to be uh, on, on launch day, January 29th. This is part of what I wanted to bring up. They're adding a memory archive to the uh, game, which has like a digests of the Kingdom Hearts story up to this point. So in case you don't have time to play through the literally named the story so far collection. Uh, you Which can... is still a steal, by the way. Like, um, oh, right? It's, what is yeah. it? Is it 60? It's 40. It's 40, it's 40. bucks for nine games. <laughs> yeah. Like, that is such a good deal. Square, please it put it on Xbox One. Do you have an Xbox One? No, um, but um, it's it, Kingdom Hearts 3 is coming out on Xbox One, but the, none of the other games are on the system. Oh. And I kind of feel bad for Xbox players who may not have missed this but are curious to jump on board because yeah like easy I, money it seems like easy money and i feel like fan, you're doing fans a disservice by not putting that on there because this is a very story heavy franchise for better yeah, or for worse yep. and <laughs> uh i wrote four thousand words talking about it right oh god Wait, oh, no. no not yet um i didn't think so a uh, uh, a glimpse into the future. I I downbeat with Shulk, and I had a glimpse of the future. Um, <laughs> but did you hold to the right or the left to get around from behind? Yep, exactly. So I darted behind it, and then air slash. <laughs> mm -hmm. So yeah, you can either watch the video archive that they're adding, or uh, preferably, probably read Peter's very in-depth uh, lore dump. It's going to come out pretty soon. Plug, 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 plug. <laughs> yeah, of course. And then the 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 follow up to that is that on. Like, so Kingdom Hearts games have traditionally had a secret movie that either teased a sequel or would have, like, some revelatory bonus information. And uh, I still remember the, did they call it the deep dive video where Riku had, like, a blindfold on and was fighting in the rain? Yeah, fighting uh, Roxas before we knew who Roxas was. Yeah, that's, like, one of the coolest post credit scenes, like, in video games. It's so yeah. good. That I just remember that was when I was in high school. Um, and I still remember all of the rumors and stuff swirling around like all my friends. We would like pull up that video in the computer lab at school mm -hmm. and watch it because it was just such a thing. Oh man, uh, dude, the birth by sleep one too. Like when that came out. What was in that one? Remind me. 
That was that was the the uh, they showed the 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 final fight from Birth by Sleep um, with Terra Van Aqua fighting Xehanort and Vanitas. Um, <laughs> but before we knew who any of this any of them were, and we just knew it was three dudes in armor fighting right. with Keyblades in a giant right. field, and it was like, what is going on? Gotcha. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So, uh, as we know, traditionally Kingdom Hearts games have these movies. So, to keep it from being spoiled, uh, Square Enix is going to be patching Kingdom Hearts 3. So, the day after launch, we're getting an epilogue video. Um, you need to have beat, beaten the game to see it. And then the day after that, January 31st, they're implementing the secret video. And to be able to view it, you need to have beaten Kingdom Hearts 3 and uh, fulfilled, quote-unquote, certain criteria during play. So, I think that's a wonderful solution because Kingdom Hearts 3 did leak um, and some copies are floating around yep. in the wild. And so that helps uh, prevent, like, if people do get their hands on the game a little bit ahead of launch, them, like, being crappy and going on the internet and, like, you know, posting links to the video, spoiling, et cetera, et cetera. Like, no doubt in this age, people are going to rip those videos and put them on YouTube within, like, a day. Like, there's no question. But I think the strategy of, of waiting to sort of implement them until a day or two after launch is really smart and doesn't really hurt anybody except for people who don't have an internet connection, which is admittedly like probably a pretty small slice. I don't want to say that I'm not being empathetic to them, but it is 2019 and like connectivity is just sort of an assumption at this point, if you're playing on a modern gen console. So, yeah, it is. It's sort of, it sort of comes with the territory. Um, I, 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 I'm with you, Derek, that I think this is actually a pretty good idea. Um, it's, it's cool that they were like, it, it'll prevent like those day one spoils. It it's kind of makes the end game's ending a, a more leak proof. Yeah. Um, although the the game is still they, they and Amira did stress that the game is perfectly finishable and uh, the ending is the like actual like ending to the story is on the disc and ready to go at launch. It's just that the epilogue that they're adding and the secret movie haven't been added yet. Right. Um, so that so I mean it's that that I think I think that's perfectly good and I think that's a good use of patches in this day and age. Yeah, interesting strategy. I could see other companies doing that going forward. Uh, Curious to see what what they'll be teasing. Um, right, because supposedly store story is ending with this one, right? So I yeah, I, the very, I think it's Xehanort's story, the quote unquote dark seeker saga of Kingdom Hearts ends, and then they can do move on to something else that'll take another nine games in 20 years of my life. <laughs> 20 oh, years. Wow. <laughs> I'm not sure I can, I can stomach that. But. We'll see. We'll, we'll see. see. I, I have, I have an unhealthy fixation on this franchise. No, I'm just kidding. I love it, but <laughs> I'm very, uh, yeah. So another new story is this is not relevant to me personally, but uh, I don't know why I had to preface it with that. It's not all about me. Um, Bungie acquired Destiny publishing rights from Activision, which is a pretty big deal um, just because Activision has sort of been at the helm of, of Destiny for some time. And Destiny, for, for, you know, even though some of us here might not play it, or many of us here might not play it, Caitlin's played it a bunch. Um, Destiny is a major franchise. So it's going to change sort of the future of that series. And I wonder if it might evolve into something I'm a little bit more interested in personally. Uh, but yeah, big deal. Bungie acquired Destiny back. Yeah, I wonder if they'll go more a Halo route with it and take it away from being the online component and go back to a single player experience. I don't see that considering it, what it's known for is the whole big massive open world thing. But I don't know, be able to do some kind of cool online multiplayer like giant. Well, I mean, they already have thing with it. It's not necessarily massive. You mean like more? Well, not necessarily an MMORPG, but just like 
you know, you can just connect up to like eight other people to basically do like a party online kind of thing, like just a something like that. Not necessarily being an MMORPG. I don't know. Isn't that already what Destiny is, kind of? Yeah, I was going to say that. That's what Destiny is. Well, is it? Oh, I thought it was not like every, not not eight people, but you can you can party up, yeah. Yeah, I guess so. But I meant like it was Maybe just a single player experience until you did that, so to speak, without the other people running around. I don't know. It's like Halo, but you just invite your friends in. Perhaps. Maybe I. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's a weird in between the two is that I'm describing. I think. Okay. I got. But I see what you're I all saying. I feel like they had grand ambitions for the first Destiny that were not realized um, yeah. for whatever reason. Uh, there's a whole lot of like, and it seemed like their relationship with Activision was not positive, strictly speaking. No, so yeah. the, I, I, I'm excited for the team personally, even though I'm not really into this franchise. I think it's cool that they are, they might finally have, you know, be able to get off the leash, so to speak. Right. Giving them more creative control of the franchise that they pioneered is probably a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Next up, we got news that Final Fantasy X, Ten Two HD Remaster and the uh, Final Fantasy XII Zodiac Age are both launching on Switch this April, on April 16th and 30th, respectively. Very exciting. Happy birthday to me. Yay! You should get them both. <laughs> get them both. That's uh, my hope. A new artwork was debuted for Final <laughs> Fantasy XII, which is lovely, but conspicuously missing Bosch of the core cast. Still, it's yeah. very nice. And has Ash sitting on a throne in a big gown, and everybody else except Bosch is there. So we can only assume Bosch is off doing important nightly things. Who knows? But you can look forward to those releasing in April. Maybe, 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 just maybe, he's off starring in his own DLC as the main character because he was totally supposed to be the main character of the game originally. The way God intended. Mm. <laughs> I'd be okay with that. I love Bosch. Yes. So we can dream. And a final news bite for today. Uh, Catherine, the original version that released on PlayStation 3 and Xbox 360, has released on PC as Catherine Classic. My notes for the show just say, sup with it. What's up with it? Why is it? <laughs> what is up with that? Why, what was that all about? Um, I think it could signify a couple of things. It could signify that Atlas is paving the way for more PC releases. Possibly. Um, it could also signify that they just want to make some money. Um, the way I see it, Kath Catherine Full Body is set to release this year. And in an effort to kind of leverage the hype that they're building for it, maybe they decided to release Classic to sort of whet people's appetites. And maybe they intend to double dip into people's wallets and uh, have them buy both versions. Sup with that, though. Yeah, I, I think it's a little weird that they're coming out with this, like when the, that version is coming out so soon. But I guess it also works as like a, yeah, like you said, an advertisement or a, a way to build up hype. Uh, and it was like, by the way, the game is out right now. <laughs> I love those, though. That's like my favorite announcement. Mm -hmm. Genre. Anytime somebody's like, and it's out right now, I lose my mind. <laughs> it works better for games than it does for uh, movies. Looking at you, Cloverfield Paradox. <laughs> sure. Oh. oh. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, maybe that's just a bad example. It, it's probably a bad example. Okay. <laughs> well, but uh, with the uh, it's okay with the recent uh, reveal or not reveal, but like discovery of the Persona Five trademarks and such, followed by Alice's announcement that they're going to unveil something Persona Five related in March. Um, maybe one of those somethings is a PC port of Persona Five. So that could be a thing. People want that, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm people. I want that. 
Would you go for it again on PC? Are you, uh, but are you good people? I think so. I'm badass people. <laughs> I, I would go for right. it. I'd go for it again on PC if it were the uh, enhanced edition or whatever, but probably knowing me, if they do like, you know, Persona 5 Scarlet or whatever it's going to be called, I'll probably grab it on PS4 uh, just to keep it all neat and tidy on PlayStation. Yeah, if they do that switch port, you better believe I'm gonna get it. <laughs> yeah, that'd be tempting. Depends on how it runs, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a good question. Eh, we'll see. It ran okay on PS3, right? <clears throat> that's that was sort of my concern with uh, Tales of Vesperia. I, I hadn't really thought about it because um, I feel like the the technological gap was a lot wider in the previous gen when we had like the Wii and then the PS3 and 360. Oh yeah, there there were kind of two tiers there, right? So. This generation, the gap is closer, but the Switch does still trail behind the uh, PS4 and Xbox One in terms of like just uh, sheer graphical processing power. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Um, depending on the game, it's not an issue. And for Tales of Vesperia, that was one where I thought, okay, like it's basically a last-gen game, so there won't be any difference between the platforms, right? And then I read shortly before it came out that there, there is a difference, and it's that the Switch version is 30 frames outside of Battle 60 in, Whereas the PS4 and Xbox versions are 60 frames, or maybe it's only the PS4 version, it's 60 frames everywhere, which I'm not such like a graphics snob, but I am definitely a frame rate snob, but I had already bought the uh, Switch version. So uh, I'm going to just tell myself that the portability wins out on that one. So um, yeah, but anyway, what I was getting at was Persona 5, if they do do a Switch port, so long as it runs as well as the PS4 version, I don't see why I wouldn't go for that one actually. Portability is a good thing. Well, yeah, very good thing. Yes, it has been a lengthy episode. We've gone on about our favorite games of 2018 and have teased you with what's to come in 2019. Uh, I do have an announcement to make, and it's not one that I wanted to make with a ton of fanfare, but it is important that I impart the information nonetheless. This is going to be my last episode hosting Random Encounter. Um, Boo. I have a dislike. You know, <laughs> Thank you, thank you for the support, even if it's in that form. Um, you know, I've I've been a part of Random Encounter since the early stages, and I'm not intending to go anywhere just yet. I'm still going to be around, but with my increasingly busy schedule, um, I'm working more these days as a localization editor. Which, <laughs> I mean, Yay. it's probably pretty transparent. Thank you. It's it's transparent when I'm like, oh, this game has a great localization. I mean, I've always been pretty attentive to that um, in my reviews and and critiques of games, even since the early early days of my work here at RPG Fan, but um, I'm very fortunate to have been getting some work in localization on games lately. And um, with that and my other writing commitments, I just, I don't have as much time to um, schedule and host the podcast anymore. So um, with a heavy heart, I'm going to be turning over the podcast hosting duties to one of my colleagues here. Um, We're still solidifying some of the details and how that's all going to shake out. But no matter whose hands it ends up in, they're going to be beautiful, uh, wonderfully like field worked hands. They're going to be calloused with the sweat of hard labor and good hosting. I don't know what I'm saying. (laughs) (laughs) I was going somewhere, but uh, yeah, so, so this will be my last episode hosting, but I still intend to be around as much as possible. I may not make it onto every episode from here on out, but um, I'll certainly do my best. I love being here. So um, thank you to all the listeners who have, uh, been kind to me over the last year or however long it's been since I took over for Rob. Um, thanks for bearing with any of my changes that I made to the show and for sending me your feedback, whether it was positive or negative. I'm 
pleased that most of it was positive. Um, and we will continue to work on the show going forward and make it the best show we can be. So if you have anything that you want to send my way, you can always, uh, you can still email us at podcast.rpgfan.com. Or if you want to get at me directly, you can do that, uh, Derek at rpgfan.com. I don't think I've ever dropped that before, but that's my email. Uh, or you can tweet at me on the Twitters. I'm at Embryonics, as I said at the beginning of the show. Uh, you can subscribe to Random Encounter through the RSS feed or through iTunes. That would be wonderful. Leave us some lovely positive reviews, and that'll that'll help me go out on a high note. Um, and as always, you can also get in touch with us via the Discord. Greg will be happy to field your questions and perhaps answer them on the show. So send those over. I think I, I, think I covered everything right. Uh, you did. Yeah. We did have a question this week, but I figured with the nature of how the episode was, we'll cover it in the next episode. All right. That's a plan. Um, so once again, thank you all so much for, for your support, for listening to the show. And I hope you continue to listen, even without me at the helm. I'll still be here spouting my SJW bullshit. And you'll have to listen to all of it. <laughs> really, though, thank you so much for having me. So to all my co-hosts, thank you for being here today. For Greg, Peter, and Caitlin, and myself, we thank you all so much for listening. And we will see you all later. In 2019, even though it's already 2019. <laughs> uh, when did that happen? <laughs> the future is now. Man, I just don't know. Let me face, let me face, let me face my fear.